Welcome. My name is Mark Waterfill, and I'm the president and owner of Public Agency Training Council. Thank you so much for attending another edition of our PATC podcast. We have Andy Young here with us today. He's going to be an excellent guest. Andy, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Glad to be here. Fantastic. Tell our audience a little bit about your background. Well, for the last 25 years, I've been a professor of psychology and counseling here in Lubbock, Texas at a university here in town. And for the last 22 years, I've been a hostage negotiator and crisis counselor with the Lubbock Police Department, the Lubbock County Sheriff's Office, and the Texas Rangers uh, State Trooper uh, negotiating team here in my region. Are you a married guy, kids? I'm a married guy. I've been married for 27 years as of the 16th. I have an 11-year-old daughter and an 8-year-old son. We've got a very happy family at home today. Congratulations uh, on your anniversary. That's fantastic. I think you've had a recent event with respect to your career, haven't you? Yes. After 25 years of teaching, I uh, hung up the mortarboard, saying goodbye to my university here at the end of the summer. Uh, kind of bittersweet, but uh, opens up uh, some room and some time to do some other things and uh, try some new things. So I'm excited about that. What classes have you taught? Uh, I get to teach a crisis intervention class at the collegiate level, uh, forensic psychology, and a lot of counseling classes like counseling theories and personality and research, which, you know, nobody likes, but that's part of the beast at this level. Now you're an author as well. Yes, sir. I got added as a third author to the uh, big textbook, Crisis Negotiations. And then I authored a couple books just of uh, my stories from the last 22 years of uh, working with law enforcement and responding to officers' calls for assistance and uh, doing negotiator and SWAT callouts. So I thought I should put some of those stories on paper because <laughs> some of this stuff you just can't believe. Your book is excellent. What are some of your hobbies? Uh, I am a drummer in an 80s cover band. COVID kind of took the knees out from underneath us, but we have our first gig in forever coming up. We'll see if <laughs> see if anybody hangs around for the whole set. What would be on the set for an 80s cover band? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to open up uh, singing and playing drums on What I Like About You. Uh, it's a lot of those 70s, 80s, and 90s cover songs that everybody likes on the radio. Maybe some Phil Collins in there with a singer-drummer? Man, I would love to do that. Phil Collins sings high, though, and I'm a baritone. I, I got to I gotta get some lessons or something. <laughs> so you're the drummer and the singer. Yeah, I'll, I'll usually do backup, uh, but uh, for that one song, uh, that seemed to fit my range pretty well. It says you played hockey. Do you still play hockey? Man, my hockey gear has been in my attic for, man, 15 years. It's very sad. It's hard for me to talk about <laughs> So who is your pick for the Stanley Cup? Uh, you know, all my in-laws and my wife are from Denver. And so I have to pick them just based on family. But then them <laughs> going 7-0 in the last game, how can you not pick the Avs to go the whole way? Uh, I was in Florida just last week in the Tampa Bay crowd. Man, they were all about it. But I, I don't think they're going to be happy this year. Two straight years, they're, they're probably due to drop one. Yeah, I, I think it's only fair they should share the wealth. Tell us about the classes that you teach for PA2C. Most often I get to teach a class. It's an advanced negotiator class called uh, Negotiating with the Empathy Impaired. Uh, I got that phrase from a friend of mine who does the same kind of job I do for the Vancouver, British Columbia Police Department. And uh, the empathy impaired is kind of an all-inclusive term for uh, people with antisocial personality disorder or maybe the psychopath or sociopath and other groups of people who uh, just really have trouble uh, getting past themselves and trying to empathize and understand others. 
I get to teach uh, the basic hostage negotiator course, a 40-hour, one-week course, and the hostage three course, the uh, advanced kind of finish that teaching out uh, course. Uh, those are the ones I've had the most fun teaching as well. What are some of the aspects of the hostage one and two course? Uh, that is the entry-level course where uh, police officers get to learn the basics of hostage negotiating, which really overlaps with my field of counseling. How do you listen and understand people uh, working towards de-escalation and resolution of a crisis? With the empathy impaired class, I assume that there are aspects of perhaps autism is a topic? Yeah, in that class, I spend a fair amount of time looking at different psychiatric conditions and how to uh, intervene with or negotiate with people who uh, are suffering with those types of uh, illnesses. And then also we'll cover things like autism and uh, mental retardation or neurocognitive disorders like Alzheimer's disease. Every once in a while, police will get called to assist with people with those conditions as well. How does an officer react to someone who's on the spectrum? It has everything to do with their training and experience. Uh, actually, one of my bandmates, uh, his son is profoundly autistic, and he's gone so far as to hang a sign in his car window indicating that uh, someone inside the car is uh, a person with autism because his anticipation is at some point I'll get pulled over and I might get pulled over by an officer who does not understand what this disorder is. And because of this disorder, my son will probably not react to that officer's commands as that officer expects. So that is many times a recipe for trouble. Yeah, I heard a speaker on the topic one time talk about the idea that someone who's on the spectrum is unable to follow numerous commands. Yeah, my uh, friend uh, has come to my uh, abnormal psychology class and talked about his son and these issues. And one of his examples is if an officer yells at my son to show me your hands, his son will look at his hands and not understand why I would have to show you my hands. And your tone is scary to me. And uh, again, it will probably not go very well at all. Yeah, it would just make the situation worse. That's right, because the officer will interpret that behavior as noncompliance when really it's just confusion on my friend's son's part. So in the empathy impaired class, do you go through recognizing different uh, scenarios and situations? Yeah, uh, officers who've attended those classes, they've really uh, preferred me to talk about call-outs that I've worked and been associated with. And so I usually those kind of use those calls, those transcripts or uh, audio and visual just to illustrate uh, interacting with people with different psychiatric conditions like a psychotic disorder, like schizophrenia or major depression, things like that. So how do you recognize different situations like that? Uh, many patrol officers are aware of what someone with schizophrenia might present themselves with the symptoms of hallucinations or delusions. That's kind of a shared experience for all of us. Uh, major depression, that presents itself a little differently. And as we were talking about autism, uh, someone who is depressed and just walking off maybe towards a bridge where they're uh, considering suicide, that's going to look like a threat and noncompliance. So once again, it can get very confusing very quickly. But usually through a little bit of dialogue, a little bit of experience with a person, if you know these diagnostic criteria, have those in your mind, you can start to figure out what you're dealing with pretty quickly and then uh, kind of tailor your response according to that. What are some of the call outs that you have been involved with that you describe in your classes? Well, the uh, empathy impaired class, uh, we're talking about people uh, with antisocial personality disorder. Sometimes they might rise to the level of a psychopath and 
In 2003, my first call out with the team, I've been trained as a negotiator, and this is our first hostage call out, was with somebody who I think we would all agree was empathy impaired. So we spend a lot of time talking about the dangers and pitfalls of a uh, call out involving a person like that who is holding a hostage and how uh, very impossible a situation like that could be, especially if you don't have a tactical resolution that the SWAT team can uh, bring to bear <laughs> with a high degree of confidence and success. And, and that's the problem that we had in 2003. We didn't have very many tactical options and negotiating with somebody like that is very difficult. Any other scenarios you like to present? Partly because of my uh, warped law enforcement sense of humor now, uh, I do like to talk about calls that are out of the ordinary. We had a person who was suffering with schizophrenia, but then also high on methamphetamines, uh, who was naked and on a highway overpass, and it was cold, and we were out there for about seven hours trying to find a way to influence this person's behavior and decision-making, and he wasn't very communicative, and so we had to find other ways to do that, like uh, holding up a warm quilt, you know, trying, hey, come over here to the warmth. We got an ambulance up there on the deck. Hey, this ambulance is for you when you're ready to come down. Here's some hot chocolate. Here's a cheeseburger. So trying to find other ways to uh, convince this person to get warm because after seven hours, his body was in very bad shape. He surprised us when after seven hours, he just spontaneously decided to run right by us and jump in his ambulance. Uh, it was kind of, to me, it was humorous for all of us to get, you know, kind of jolted and scared by this naked man running by us and getting in the ambulance finally to get warm. That's that's incredible. I know that you're a, a big speaker at various conferences. Do you have some coming up? Have you recently completed any? Yes. Uh, what is coming up here? I get to go to Indiana to speak to their state association of hostage negotiator, uh, their conference. Uh, California comes up in September. That's uh, one of the largest uh, conferences in the U.S. And uh, my co-presenter and I will go straight from California to Calgary, Canada, uh, we'll be doing the same presentation in the U.S. and then in Canada in September. So we're both very excited about that one. I'll get to go to uh, Oklahoma and Michigan. And I uh, just came from uh, the New England States Association Conference, and that was in Cape Cod. Brought my family along. It, it was such a great time for everybody. I bet it was absolutely beautiful. Oh, man. Being up there in May was perfect. Right at the end of the semester. Uh, such a great group of people. Uh, it, it was lovely. Well, no, you're out in West Texas, right? Yes, where it is a little less than lovely. And are you near Uvalde? Or are no, you... uh, they are probably an eight or nine hour drive south of us, though we were, uh, we did get contact. I also um, am part of our critical incident stress management team, which is a group of trained officers and mental health professionals who will assist officers after a traumatic incident. And so we were contacted to be on standby to go down there uh, what a horrible tragedy, and it's just so sad. It is, it is. And I'm sure that it had a major impact, even though you're eight or nine hours away, you're, you're still somewhat close by. Yeah, that's right. And then that other feeling of, by God's grace, go I. That could happen here, it could happen anywhere. And uh, so, yeah, that, that that's with us as well. Absolutely. De-escalation, hostage negotiation, crisis intervention, those have all been very hot topics for the last couple of years and, and even before that. What are some of the major philosophies that you have that you try to uh, instill into your students? 
Uh, it's this um, difficult balancing act of responding to the situation based on the safety, the officer's safety, and the needs of the innocent people involved, and the opportunity to try and slow it down, to communicate, to de-escalate, to try and find a way other than force to try and resolve this situation. But many times we have these two forces in tension with each other. Do we need to rush in and do something like in Uvalde? Do we need to slow it down so we have a greater life? likelihood of everyone involved being okay, being safe? And how do you know that in the midst of a crisis? And so right off the bat, trying to assess the situation accurately so we respond with the appropriate amount of force and uh, the right tactics. If we are able to slow it down, how do we be patient? How do we listen? How do we communicate in a way that might uh, build trust and rapport? But that patience, we have to do something versus we actually do need to do something. That's such a situationally specific equation. We spend a fair amount of time just considering those examples. But once we have the opportunity, opportunity, how do we talk to people in a way that can resolve the crisis? I bet that's vitally important. And in your hostage one and two, and then also in your three class, you do practical exercises as well, don't you? Yes. It's always a joy to inflict that upon police officers who would much rather stay in their seat and uh, not have to interact. Uh, One of the first uh, exercises I like to do is to have them practice negotiating with a non-responsive subject. When someone will not talk back to you, how do you continue to talk? Uh, How do you generate hypotheses about what might be going on with somebody and keep trying in a patient and understanding way for a long period of time without any feedback. At the end of it, they're very grateful for it. But while you're in it, you can kind of see them, you know, all right, how how much longer is this going to last till the next guy gets to take my spot? How do you do those? I know that you use a crisis phone. Yeah. In this case, uh, I like to practice doing face-to-face negotiations because we don't uh, only have to consider what we're saying, but then our nonverbals and our presence, you know, do we have our arms folded and we're resting our hand on our pistol or are we trying to uh, convey other messages through our nonverbals? And so in this case, I play a slideshow of body cam photos from a uh, call out that we worked a number of years ago in which this person gets closer and closer to uh, jumping off of an elevated position. And so the officers have to respond to the changes they see in front of them in this slideshow of a non-responsive subject. They have a coach behind them. They have someone who's trying to uh, help them in their conversation. So it's not just them out on their own trying to emphasize the team concept. Uh, But it is a different way of doing negotiations as opposed to on the throw phone like we normally do. I bet you get uh, varying reactions to those kinds of uh, situations in class. Yes, uh, including uh, everybody exhaling their frustrations at me for putting them through that at the end. But I would rather them uh, get sweaty in the laboratory and have it be easier out on the street. Exactly. Have you had students come back and tell you that they've had practical uh, experiences after their class? Yes, uh, I got an email just this week. I uh, mentioned using negotiators with protest movements. And then that next week, that local jurisdiction had a protest and they approached their command staff who said, "Okay, let's try it. And according to them, it worked out great. Uh, I got an email the next day after a class where I just talked about how to watch over officer safety while working with a suicidal person on an elevated position like a bridge. And I got an email right back from that officer. Thank you so much for your specific examples. I never would have thought of putting my hand 
on the shoulder of the person talking to our person in crisis and grabbing their belt loop just to make sure that they're safe, they're grounded, and they know somebody else is there, that that really improved everybody's safety and helped me have a conversation more freely. And that that email was great to get because I, I, I'm just telling the story from our experience and then to have it apply the next day was great. Absolutely. Any other closing thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I, I just love that uh, the current uh, consideration out there in society and law enforcement is what is the best way to do this job? How do we keep officers safe while also attending to the needs of the public and uh, trying to be as patient and considerate with the needs of the public while also trying to maintain safety, like in the case of people who are wanting to do as much harm as they can quickly. And so to have this conversation and try to find a way to get that perfect balance and get everything, everybody educated, this old college professor loves doing that. I like that people are trying to have an open mind and learn more about this, uh, this fascinating field that I've loved for so long. Well, fantastic. And we very much appreciate our relationship with you and you're an outstanding teacher. And we always hear great feedback from your students. Uh, And thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, It's been a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. One, two, three.